This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway in a brand new day. Hey everyone, it's your old pal Mike Spears. I just wanted to, uh, before we get into today's episode, to just give a bit of an update and a bit of an explanation to this episode. So Case and I recorded this right after Final Gate. Uh, We make mention of that on the show itself, but there's been a lot of stuff that's happened since then. So I just wanted to take a moment just to make clear when this was recorded. Of course, I'm kind of referring to the announcement of Masato Yoshino's pending retirement. He made a big announcement of that in Kobe on the 26th, that sometime in 2020, he's going to retire. And we talk a little bit on this episode about how he had his injury in 2017 and how dire it looked. And I just felt like it'd be kind of inappropriate or I'd be remiss not to mention that When we recorded this, that wasn't on the table. That wasn't anything we heard of. But other than that, this was probably one of my favorite episodes ever of Open the Voice Gate. And I hope you all enjoy it and have a good end to your 2019. And Case and I will be back with you in 2020. So without any further ado, here's the episode. Hey everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Open the Voice Gate. This is Open the Voice Gate best of the decade 2010 edition to close out 2019 we want to look back at the promotion we love and cherish we might sometimes get frustrated by it we might just throw our hands up in the air and there, there are times that we will stand in pace in our respective domiciles but how better to think about this transformative decade in the history of dragon gate of course I am one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm being joined by Case Lowe. Case, what a decade it's been in Dragon Gate. What a decade it's been in Dragon Gate is an understatement. And we were just <laughs> talking right before we uh, before we started recording. We were looking at 2010 shows, and it's amazing how much can change. I mean, a decade is a long time, and it's funny the idea of 
you know, reviewing these decades, it, it you know, I, I love year in reviews and those, those feel like so simple. And then you sit down and do a decade in review and I'm working on something right now for the new, uh, for the voices of wrestling, new Japan ebook. I started looking at the decades, just like, Jesus Christ. I mean, there's really, there's so much stuff here. And uh, I never would have guessed that in 2013, uh, when Kira Tozawa and Ricochet and Uha Nation all stood together in a ring uh, and claimed themselves to be best friends and Monster Express, that uh, one thing, one hobby would have taken over my life the way it did. And one company in particular, and now, you know, I, I sit here, I'm 20 years old, and I've been covering Dragon Gate extensively for a quarter of my life now. Uh, and I do not say that braggadociously, but I'm also not ashamed of it because Dragon Gate has brought me a lot of good memories. Uh, I have made people that I, I feel like I, I can call them friends uh, through Dragon Gate. And uh, we're going to talk kind of big picture some of the stuff we really enjoyed this decade. Uh, it's, you know, it's not a comprehensive encyclopedic list. I wish we could have done that, but Mike and I just do not have the time to go decade or year by year rather this decade. Uh, so big picture stuff. Uh, we're going to try to cover as much as we can uh, on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, like you mentioning that beginning of 2010, that was an interesting time in Dragon Gate. I was following the promotion then. I was in going for my master's in film at that time. I would go for other degrees since then. I've moved halfway across the country. I started podcasting and then yeah like just like the people that you start talking to and the friendships develop and just everything about that it's just remarkable and it's something like that we talked about in the last episode we entered this decade with Nuruki Doi as Open the Dream Gate champion and we're leaving it with Nuruki Doi as Open the Dream Gate champion just so that listeners get a sense of where the promotion was at when we entered the 2010s the uh, twin gate champion were the osaka zenrook team of shima and gamma they were of course members of warriors five that would later be called warriors during this time period the triangle gate champion team and this is i think a perfect encapsulation about how much this company has changed over time case was don fuji masaki mochizuki and akibono (laughs) <laughs> yeah and then also the brave gate champion was naoki tanazaki he of course had like a really famous brave gate like tile reign at that time and he was a longtime champion in 20 in 2008 and 2009 and of course as we said earlier nuruki doi was the open the dream gate champion and and as we started this decade and yeah we're not gonna go point by point uh we could have done like year by year by year and we have loved to it's just case in my schedules that would have been nearly impossible for us to do that but instead we were we're gonna talk big picture here we have a couple categories we really want to talk about and a lot of them are like your awards categories like best wrestler best tag team best match and then we have like some other like bigger picture things like biggest moments what are your what if moments what's your favorite year from this decade what's your favorite show and then we're going to look ahead into decade three of the dragon system because if the dragon system was a baby right now it's finishing up its senior year of college unless it's like me and takes five years because you know life changes so we're looking ahead of where we see the next 10 years dragon gate talk about who might be the ace in the next decade i have like this nice like little title for one that i call who's gonna be the next susumu so we're gonna talk about that 
And then overall, like, where is Dragon Gate in 2029? What's going to be the Kobe World 30th anniversary main event? So we're just going to have a lot of just overall topics that we're just going to have flow through here. And I think it's kind of, like, I know it's going to be front-loaded, but you have to, like, I think that in this decade case, the biggest things to think about are, like, the wrestlers who made this decade. So just, like, the the way for us to kind of just dive into it, uh, who would you consider would be your best wrestlers in Dragon Gate over the 2010s? So I, I looked at this from, from from one angle, and and I came up with four wrestlers who, at one point or another, were the best wrestler in the company. And I think that's the way to decide this, and then from there you can decipher who was better than who and which peak was better than which peak. Uh, but Masaki Mochizuki, Shingo Takagi, Akira Tozawa, and Yamato, to me, were at points in time the best wrestlers in the company. I think Mochizuki, in 2011, has one of the greatest in-ring years of all time. Uh, that's his big year. You could argue Yamato in 2010, and then again in 2013, uh, is kind of the best wrestler in the company. Tozawa, a little bit in 15-16, into Shingo's Reign of Terror, uh, 15, 16, 17 for him. And I feel like we're at a point now where Masaki Mochizuki is once again the best wrestler in the company, at least according to my spreadsheet. Uh, and then maybe Shun Skywalker, but Skywalker was only around for the back half of the decade. Gun to my head, Masaki Mochizuki is your wrestler of the decade. Uh, Shingo Tozawa Yamato to follow, but you can't go wrong with any of those answers. Yeah, yeah. And for this category, I feel like that like entering wise your timeline that you go from Mochizuki to Yamato to Tozawa to Takagi to back to Mochizuki to end out the decade. I think that's a like for like most outstanding, like it makes perfect sense there. When I look at this decade, I really think about like when I like these big picture things like who can't you tell the story of Dragon Gate in the twenty tens without talking about and there's a lot of carryover there because Masaki Mochizuki, he did have some years where he kind of took a back seat after 2011, after the Junction 3 versus Blood Warriors year. And the, but I mean, then he kind of had his crazy old man phase where like now he's he's about to turn 50. He will turn 50 in January of 2020, which is insane. And he'll be in his 26th year as a wrestler. And he's someone that you can't tell the story of Dragon Gate without that. And then even for like people who have departed, I mean, when you look at where Tozawa was in 2010, like 2010 was the bottom of the bottom, and then he gets run out of the company and storyline by Cyber Kong, returns a year later, and it becomes like the biggest player in the company for the next four years. And then he sadly has gone on to go live in Orlando and hang out with Apollo Crews, Uha Nation, but hey. And then you have Shingo Takagi, who... It's a very different Takagi that enters the 2010s, that leaves the 2010s. And I think the same thing could be said also about Yamato and Naruki Doi. And like most most prominently, the story of Shima in this decade has to be mentioned just because he was coming back from a pretty severe neck injury at the, t- at the beginning of this decade. He then had the most decorated Open the Dreamgate towel reigns, which did not necessarily always have the best matches, but it did have like the important matches where that's where Akira Tozawa had his only Kobe World main event. That's where BB Hulk had his first Kobe World main event without the Shingo feud 
being around that. And then he then kind of takes like the veteran seat. He has a very short heel re- heel turn for the end of Mad Blanky, and then does over generation before the second split. So I think like the the people that you have to tell the story through are Shingo, Mochizuki, Takagi, and Shima. And really, the wrestler that and it's sad now because we're now fourteen months from him leaving. My wrestler of the decade, I think, is Shingo Takagi in the 2010s. Just because he had the incredible tag team fe- tag team with Akira Tozawa. Like, that's a match that I know we've talked about in the showcase. But Shingo, uh, Shingo Takagi and Akira Tozawa versus T-Hawk and Ada at Kobe World 2014 is one of the best tag matches this promotion's ever put on. And I will believe that until my dying days. Yeah. Well, I, I, Shingo for Western fans in particular, I think was the embodiment of Dragon Gate this decade uh, between Dragon Gate USA, Dragon Gate UK, and Dragon Gate proper. Takagi was at the forefront of all of those promotions at times when the most eyes were on the product in terms of Western fans. Uh, he had the incredible hair versus hair match versus BB Hulk in 2010. Uh, it's funny that he kind of got lost in the shuffle for the only time in his career during Junction 3 and Blood Warriors and did his best stuff that year in Dragon Gate UK of all places, which unfortunately, uh, I think a hundred people have seen those tapes because they are just impossible to track down now. Uh, but 2012 comes back. He's teaming with Yamato. They're an okay team. He's got some great singles matches that year. 2013, he defeats Shima uh, and ends the long longest Dreamgate run of all time and then is shocked and loses in his first defense 2014 he's full on board with monster express uh by 2015 he's turned heel and goes on something that we'll talk about a little bit later but one of the greatest single runs that any wrestlers ever had um and by the time he left in 2018 it was the the one time that i really think a wrestler has grown too big for dragon gate takagi was just such a force and too big of a presence that it he became overbearing and and cards became centered around him whether they intended to or not and it's just it's very very strange uh the the way his his time in dragon gate ended but him leaving felt like a logical step whereas shima and strongheart splitting and if you want more about that you can subscribe to the everything evolves patreon and listen to the breaking stronghearts episode i did with mike uh but the the shima split shocked me and it, it, it didn't make sense and uh, you know my weirdly controversial take out of all of this is that i think shima might be a better wrestler outside of dragon gate than in dragon gate uh but takagi mochizuki i i do think you're discrediting yamato a little bit yamato had was just involved in many moments of great magnitude this decade even if he did have uh, an abysmal dream gate reign there was a lot of good stuff sprinkled in there and then shima Tozawa that's kind of your your five-headed giant there in terms of the most important wrestlers this decade well let's talk about the Yamato thing because he when he led Mad Blanky he completely changed it from being one of the weirder heel stables I mean as much as we've grown to like the guy Larry Dallas is a manager for Mad Blanky for a time in a time period where it just was kind of abrupt to have a american manager there but when he took over mad blanky 
I remember hearing and talking to people that were going to shows at that time that said Mad Blanky got too cool to be a heel unit. And a lot of that was because of Yamato. I just am someone that the reason why I discounted him a little bit was just how dreadful I feel like his Dreamgate reign was and how never-ending and how dreary it was. But up until that, and even when he won the title in the first few defenses, it was great stuff. It just went on for far too long. And that's me even not wanting to discount the fact that he's a part of my favorite Dragon Gate tag team of all time with him and Naruki Doi. So like that's why I have him personally lower in my tier list, even though I feel like he, you're absolutely right. He was someone at the forefront of some of the most transformative moments in the decade. And I think like that's why I have him on my second tier, I guess, of wrestlers in the decade. But yeah, I feel like that these are the five guys you tell the story of Dragon Gate through. And it's kind of interesting that neither of us really have brought up Masato Yoshino as a character in this, when he definitely is, but it just seems like that these are the five guys that we would call our wrestlers of the decade. Do you have anyone else that you would throw into the mix or would you put in that second tier? Well, I, I wanna I wanna backtrack on Yamato for just Oh sure, go ahead. Because I I well, I, I figured it out as you were talking. The comp that is accurate to Yamato is he is Dragon Gate's version of Shinsuke Nakamura and that is an apt comparison in many ways mm-hmm. but none more in particular than because Nakamura's WWE and NXT run has been so disappointing I think people forget that there is a two to three year period where Nakamura was one crucial to New Japan's Western expansion and two, he was the coolest motherfucker on the planet. And if he was 1A on the coolest, Yamato was 1B. And it just so happens that they were at the top of their game for the longest time. And then, weirdly, they're, they're, uh, the, the bottom, the valley of their careers kind of coincided. And now we've seen Yamato bring it back up. He's doing great tag work this year. Nakamura, eh, not so much. Um, but I, I think Yamato was someone that is, is hurt by failing on a really big stage similar to Nakamura. But people forget that before that, they were a force to be reckoned with. And Mad Blanky in the Berserk era Yamato, even up to Yamato winning the Open the Dreamgate belt at Kobe World 2016, that is one of the coolest dudes ever to be in a wrestling ring. And we lose that because he's uh, he's a different wrestler now. He looks different. He, he acts different. Uh, we we had to suffer the Dreamgate reign, but I for me and it's weird for me to be very pro Yamato, uh, but I'm I'm pro Yamato in this case. I think he was a crucial part of the decade. As for second tier guys, Yoshido, Doi, BB Hulk. I think you can throw in Ben K and Shun Skywalker with the years they've had this year. I'd also mention Ricochet and Pac, who I think uh, were crucial to Dragate success. Uh, both in Japan proper and then uh, uh, attracting Western eyeballs at various points. I attribute 95% of Ricochet's success in his career to his 2011 feud with Pac, where he entered 2011 an average wrestler and left 2011 an exceptional wrestler. And it just so happened that he spent all of 2011 wrestling Pac. Uh, Pac had two two great runs, uh, one before he left uh, for WWE, one afterwards. Yeah, I really think you have to consider Ricochet and Pack when you're talking about who you'd put at like the Hall of Very Good or your second tier for the decade, just because Ricochet went from someone who was just a kid 
to being the first ever Gaijin Open the Dreamgate champion in his time period before leaving. And then, and then Pac, you know, he was became such a big figure. I mean, like, he was close to that before Ricochet, before he left, and then Ricochet came in, and then he came back, and he probably had one of the most important title reigns that we will look back at and say, like, oh, he set up the future because of the, his Dreamgate title reign. So I think those two, I think, I think Yoshino kind of plays a part into there. And then I'd be remiss, to, like, as a joint figure, even though some of their stuff has been, like, a massive disappointment, if if not to mention T-Hawk and Ada, if only because Ada being thrust into this role and finally, after about, like, 18 months, being pretty good at it. And then T-Hawk being the big what-if story of this decade. So I, I feel like that those are probably the ones that I'd be most comfortable about saying, like, my who would be getting, like, the group prize and then who would be, like, honorable mention there. So, do you have any more thoughts about any other wrestlers you think we should mention when we're talking about best wrestler before we start talking about tag teams? No, I think that's a very fair list. I think that kind of covers the the snapshot of the decade and who mattered and who didn't. Right. So, we talked about like the best wrestlers, but Dragon Gate has always been a promotion about teams, about tag teams, and trios. And in doing that, we had to talk about who we consider the best tag team in Dragon Gate. Because it's interesting, because over this decade, we started the decade with Osaka Zenroka as the tag team champions, and we ended the decade with Yama Hulk as champions. And it's been like a real just assortment of teams that we had throughout the decade, and it's something that I find very interesting. And I'm just going to get this out of the way. There's only one tag team that comes to my mind when I think about the best tag team of the 2010s, and that is the team of uh, Yamato and Naruki Doi. They are, to me, there's like not very much comparison for a tag team that had an incredibly long title reign. At the time, it was the longest title reign and had an incredible streak of defenses. They ended up with nine title defenses, something that not even the later CK1 team had. And in each of their matches, like they did not have a bad tag team title match during that time and it, i just go back to i think that they were the best tag team of the 2010s in dragon gate but i might be wrong case who do you have as your list and who might be your honorable mentions there yeah i don't even think it's close uh in terms of who the best tag team uh this decade was it, it's yamadoy they are a team that was around for such a short period of time and i know i've been one to make outlandish claims about tag teams and their historical rankings in the past uh but if you are really being honest about things and really looking at match quality and teams that have had great matches, I struggle to name 25 better tag teams than that Yamadoi run. Uh, not, not, a, not, a, uh, not a top 10, not something that's going to get them into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. But, I mean, my God, that reign was unbelievable. And it goes back to what I just said. I think we forget that Yamato at one point was just the coolest guy on the roster. That reign, you look at it, uh, they knock off Yoshino and Sashi Hoko Boy. They've got a great defense against Matt Seidel and Ricochet. Uh, I'm looking at this now. They defeat the Jimmies and Akata Star Lanes. Uh, Dragon Kid and Flamita, I remember really enjoying that. There's a great defense versus Masada Yoshino and T-Hawk. Uh, and then the reign ends uh, in Osaka. Uh, Monster Express, Big R Shimizu, and T-Hawk defeat Naruki Doi and Yamato. That was a big deal when it happened. This was a charismatic team 
a team that for whatever reason, well, I guess it's because they were so good, but they, they have a lasting memory. People that were watching Dragon Gate a lot of the time, which in 2015, 2016, uh, at least this decade felt like the height of Western viewing. It felt like Dragon Gate had a, a real say in the discussion and the discourse, at least in our bubble. And now people have fallen off, but I still constantly am hearing about the Yamato and Naruki Doi tag team. For me, best team of the decade. I don't necessarily think number two is close. Uh, if you want to discuss two and three, that CK1 run with Shima and Dragon Kid for as odd as it was booked was pretty damn good from a match quality perspective. And then you have to you have to look at T-Hawk and Ata, who peaked uh, arguably in Dragon Gate at least uh, in that tag team. There was not a time where I think those guys were more exciting than when they were teaming together in 2013 and 2014. Uh, you've got teams like Speed Muscle, but I don't I don't like the revival Speed Muscle as much as I like the 2007 to 2009 team. Uh, you've got Mochizuki and Fuji who had some great matches, but when you're talking tag teams of the decade, at least in my mind, Yamadoi, CK1, T Hawk, and Ata. Yeah, and it's kind of wild when you talk about T and E. They were they as a tag team only had I'm counting it up right now. They only had a combine of five title matches as champions but at the same time they were such an important tag team i feel like that they deserve honorable mentions at the very least the one tag team that i mentioned a little bit earlier that i feel like deserves credit because for the time it was a very important tag team and outside of their singles work this was probably their best chemistry as a tag team partners was the hulk was not the hulk sorry the shingo and tozawa tag team in 2013-2014, it was, at the time, the longest reigning tag team on the division. Didn't have the most amount of fences. That was the uh, Mochi Fuji team. But it was an incredibly important tag team. And for a time period that, like, it was... Both the guys were somewhat cycled down. That was very important. Uh, a team that I personally love and I wouldn't put in there is the the original Jimmy's, the... Yokosuka Chome team of Susumu and Kagatora, who for the first half of the decade were, if not leaders of the tag team division, they were always in the question. And they probably had my favorite tag team match of the entire decade in that match between them and the Amigo tag team of Sachi Hoka Boy and Masato Yoshino. But I feel like those are like the clear cut top three, but those were the other two tag teams that I wanted to throw out there for honorable mentions to sake. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned the Jimmy's team because as you were talking, I realized I forgot them. Um, they've got the Amigos tag, which people are really, really fond of. Um, I think my favorite match, they've got two. They've got a T-Hawk and Ata match from the Summer Adventure, 2000, or Summer Adventure Tag League of 2014. I remember Alan Forel going five stars at the time. I think that was September. It was sometime in September 2014. Um, and then they had a match uh, right at the start of 2012. Uh, March 4th, uh, Kagatori and Susumu defeated Akira Tozawa and BB Hulk. Uh, and that is one of the early Jimmy's matches, one of the early Mad Blanky matches. That match is excellent. I believe uh, at Angry216, the aforementioned uh, Twitter user, I believe he's a huge fan of that match. I think he put me onto that because that was a little bit before I started following Dragon Gate. Uh, but that is one that if you haven't seen, I highly recommend. Yeah, no, I mean, it just was like, that felt like, because that time period went right into Yamadoi, like, that was the time where Dragon Gate probably had the best tag team division in the world, and they just, every 
month or two months to have an incredible Twin Gate match. And of course, as you said, this was at the peak of Western eyes being on the promotion because this was the tail end of uh, the Ustream days and also when people were pretty egregious about uploading everything <laughs> because that was the Nico Nico days coming soon after that. So, yeah, I feel like that it's interesting like how the division and CK1 is definitely a tag team that deserves consideration if only because even if the booking was very weird at times and there were a lot of people that you that you, you look at this and you're like oh they definitely could have lost the belt to them you had a lot of great matches i mean like the the initial reunion of speed muscle was a really exciting match at that kobe world 2017 and then t-hawk and lindemann were a fun team earlier at uh dead or alive that year so i mean like there was a lot of interesting matches they had during that tile reign and i mean then they had Shimizu and Benkei, which, I mean, that later became an important tag team for the tail end of the decade. So any other tag teams you want to kind of give like third tier notice to before we start moving on? I really enjoyed the short-lived uh, Ricochet-Matt Seidel tag team. Uh, that is the that is my third, third tier mention. Yeah, I think my th- third tier would be Amigo Tag because it was such a short-lived team, but it was that match that still like resonates in my brain of them versus Yokosa Chome was such an important tag team. So I think that this is probably where we go very, very big picture for a moment and talk about the best unit of the 2010s. When we started the decade, we had the tail end of Real Hazard. We had Monster 5, or we had Warriors 5. We had, no, Typhoon would have been dead by then. I'm going with most of these off the top of my head. Uh, World 1 was still a factor at the time. There was the unestablished veteran gun, and it just was a lot of different units that we went through. I mean, we even had a slow, like a shortly lived, like Windows MG unit. Of course, there were there were Blood Warriors in Junction 3, and that led into having the Jimmies, Monsters Express, Overgeneration, uh, Millennials, and then Mad Blanky, probably most prominent at that time period. And that kind of moved into... For Zerk and uh, Maximum and Overgeneration again, Tribe Vanguard, Dia Hearts. There's a lot of units that went through this decade. And I'm just going to let you start off on this one. Uh, what do you think were the most important units of the 2010s? Yes, yeah, so I've got a few. I've got a few units down on my list here. Personally, for me, I mean, Monster Express is the one I turn to. Anytime you can align Shingo, Tozawa, Ricochet, in Uha Nation, you are going to have my full attention. Uh, add on top of that Masada Yoshino, and you've got yourself a pretty good unit. Monster Express, maybe not the biggest impact uh, storyline-wise. Uh, they were a run-of-the-mill babyface unit with ex- with an exceptional cast of characters. I think that's that there was no outstanding gimmick there, nothing to really pull you in. Just a ton, a ton, a ton of talent, which was awesome to see. Um, they were what pulled me on board. I was watching uh, a lot of Dragon Gate USA at the time. Uh, in 2013, I had gone full bore into independent wrestling. It was, was something that completely rocked my world uh, when I first started watching Ring of Honor. Um, and then from there, I said, okay, who was who was running Ring of Honor when Brian Danielson and CM Punk and Kenta were there? Okay, it was this guy, Gabe Sapolsky. Well, Gabe Sapolsky is not there now. What's he doing? Oh, he's got this company called Evolve. And this company called Dragon Gate USA. Well, I have to check these out. And then once I 
once I dove into DGUSA and I discovered Drangate and I discovered that there was this unit of all these guys I liked together, uh, it was hard to pull that. And uh, now I'm here talking to you. So I'm not sure if I should thank Gabe or shake my fist angrily at him, but I guess thank you, Gabe Sapolsky. Uh, so Monster Express is kind of my top unit. Uh, I kind of want to hear from you. I've got a few others, but what's what's your top unit of the decade if you had to pick? <sighs> this is actually like a one where I feel like the exact opposite is how of how I feel about tag teams, where it was just such one tag team that really stood above the rest. I think that you have to... It's kind of unfair because of how long they lasted, but Jimmy's is up there. I feel like that that's a very important unit i mean it kind of was one of the units that became a lot of western fans favorite unit because they were kind of a common thread throughout the decade i uh, mad blanky i feel like you split into two the Tazawa era wasn't necessarily the best but by the end of the yamadoi era they were the coolest motherfuckers alive i mean you basically had a bond villains with their henchmen going about and that was really something special and then my so I feel like that those two are up there. I feel like that you always have to consider Blood Warriors and Junction 3. Like, I was always more of a Blood Warriors guy because I've always been a Tozawa guy. So that was the thing for me. And then, currently, there has not been a unit over it since, like, the end of Monster Express that I've enjoyed as much as Mochizuki Doji. Yes. Just because they have, like, United Purpose. They aren't, they, they, they aren't like, the best unit, but that's not their purpose, but... They always go out there. They always have like a lot of heart in the matches. It has my current favorite wrestler in the company, and Hio was a part of it for such a long period of time. And for a time period that it had a lot of turmoil, Mochizuki Dojo got me through it. But if I'm going to have to say just one, I got to go Jimmy's. I think Jimmy's is the unit of the decade. Really? Okay. I, I can't argue that. I think that comes down to personal taste, if anything. Because I, I, I always enjoyed the Jimmies, but was never, I was never logging on to a Dragon Gate show to watch the Jimmies. Um, you mentioned Mochizuki Dojo. I'm so glad you did, because I thought I was going to surprise you with that. I, I didn't know if that was a hot take or not, that this incarnation of Mochizuki Dojo is as much as I've enjoyed a unit in a very long time, because I like the premise of it, I like that Mochizuki is leading it, and the, the match quality is out of this world. And they're doing it with young guys, and then, you know, Mochizuki, who does not age. It's a really impressive collection of talent, and I I will look back fondly on the Mochizuki Dojo days when it all it is all said and done. So I had them uh, in the same vein. I had the Millennials, who from their explosion into Japan, T Hawk, Ata, UT, uh, and then Flamita and Rocky Lobo. Shout out Rocky Lobo um, into the latter half when they invited Al Lindemann and uh, Yasuke Santa Maria, and I feel like I'm forgetting one more person that was in the Millennials. Uh, Katoka. Katoka, thank you very much. I see you're, you're the man, Mike. Uh, but the Millennials, I, when, they, when they lost and they disbanded in 2015, it definitely felt like a changing of the guard because for three years they were as impact shine the brightest. We thought we were seeing a prized pupil in Ata, uh, and we saw Al Lindemann take shape there. Uh, he has the element of a name because uh, he needed a millennial's name. Um, I'm a huge fan of them. And then I have to go with early berserk. And this is something that I will re return to in, in a little bit, but the berserk run from the formation. So if we want to say August, 2015, when Shingo defeated Yoshino for the open, the dream gate 
through Shingo losing the Open the Dreamgate title, not to Yamato, but to Jimmy Susumu, that run right there is maybe the best unit in the history of the company. Okay. Um, you, you see, it's, it's so hard for me because the heel units have such a particular role and like the whole lead up to the formation of Reserve because when Matt Blanky disbanded, it was the first time that a heel unit disbanded on, not on purpose. So like you had like a lot of like interesting thing because you still had the remnants of Matt Blanky that were going to turn face uh, and the ones that turned heel that kept heel. You had Naoki Tanizaki who was frustrated with the Jimmys. You had Shingo who was kind of just like leading the, this horde of people. And then you had like Ada who was looking like he was going to turn heel, but then he got kicked out the first day of the unit. And then Katoka who completely changed his career because of that run in Berserk. And it's kind of hard to say that that time period wasn't like the most formal of time in Dragon Gate. Cause it kind of set up the next four years, at least up until Shingo left the company was how important that was. So definitely deserves consideration. Millennials is going to be like the big, what if, for me, because I wonder about how the landing went and how the landing was perceived by the native audience. If the native audience thought any higher of the original millennials, how much better it would have been in, in retrospect, because that's like a big what if for me is what if the audience cared about T-Hawk and Ada, because clearly we're positioning them as like a new crazy max in a lot of ways, and it just never came across that way to me. Yeah, it's a, it's a divisive unit. It was at the time. It still is now, even with hindsight. But I look back really fondly on the Millennials. I thought that was a unique act that was executed really, really well. And I, when I break it down to individual components, I like what everybody brought to the table. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, especially, like, the unit that, like, it ended up being with, like, Katoka, like, after a while, finally deciding to join up at the end. And then Elinaman smacking down Shima on the microphone and, like, that heel version of of Shima and the uh, zombie veterans was such a cool time period because it was so interesting. But yeah, like the thing about Jimmy's for me, like I mentioned just because I feel like that they were important. They weren't necessarily my unit. Cause I was such a Tozawa guy. So like I was more inclined to go for like monster express, but I just can't like a, a unit with that much longevity and had held all the titles in different court, different kind of combinations. And like the way it ended in the emotional moment of, when Verzerk took out the Jimmies was such a big time that like I have to consider that. So, but I think we had like a, a good mix of units. I think I don't want to say like a worse unit, but if I did, it would be Antios. You know, I don't think any unit was as much of a failure as Antios ended up being. Maybe just nothing ever worked out, and it was during a bad time of the company. But that would be. I don't want to mention a lot of bad things, but I feel like that that was like the low point unit wise in the decade was the Antios led heel unit. Yeah. Unless we're counting deep drunkers, which in that case, uh, Joe Lanza can fight me all he wants, but deep drunkers sucked. Uh, but Antios was very bad. I mean, there was no other way to say it. They, they sucked the life out of the company. This is when I talked about earlier about Shingo getting too big. This is right around the time where, Drangate was really trying to make something out of T-Hawk and Ata, but in the same unit as Shingo, it was just impossible. I didn't, I mean, we're, we're now approaching year five of yellow, black, and red heel unit. And they, it's been under various names, but 2015 is when Verzerk formed and we're still dealing with the remnants of that unit. And 
that is not necessarily a bad thing, but there have certainly been times, especially during Antios, but even as R.E.D. has rebounded, man, I would, I would like something to change. I would like a bit of an aesthetic shift, a bit of a mindset shift, something a little different, because we have now been dealing with the same heel unit, even with different names and different cast members, for a very long time. And it arguably peaked with Berserk. It was at its lowest with Antioch. It is somewhere in the middle. Already has had some really good moments. But, uh, you know, speaking in, in the current for, you know in the current timeline, I'm ready for something new. Yeah, it'll be interesting, especially as we talked about in the last episode, how it looks like we're maybe seeing a new take on the Blood Warriors versus Junction 3 thing coming up ahead with so many weak face units existing. Uh the other, the only other unit that like I never liked at the time, and in retrospect, really just seemed like it just existed and it was kind of like a failure. And it's no, no one else is Dia Hearts. Like it was like Hulk's lead unit. It kind of set the way of how Big Face turns into Kobe World happened. But it just was something that like as soon as Hulk started getting really injured, you didn't really have a whole lot else going on with Dia Hearts. Like it was like Shimizu was a part of it, but. That was also very early Shimizu. Like, Masaki Mochizuki and Dragon Kid were members of Dia Hearts. And it's something that you have to kind of remind yourself about where the company was at that time. It just was, that would be on my low list as well, I feel like. but Mike, I'm going wholeheartedly disagree with you there. Okay. I am a, I am a Dia Hearts guy. Uh, I really enjoy early Big R Shimizu. And to go back to the, the heel unit thing, for as much as, for as charming in a sleazy way as current Big R Shimizu is, as we get farther and farther away from babyface Big R with the mohawk and the singlet, the more and more I miss that character. Because that character was one of the best wrestlers in the world, and that foundation was started in Dia Hearts. And then we didn't get a ton of straight two versus two matches with them, but the Mochizuki Dragon Kid team was awesome. And I really, really enjoyed seeing those two together. Not a top unit for me, but a middle-of-the-line, maybe nostalgia-driven unit for me. But I liked what they brought to the table. Okay, like, that that's fair. That's fair. I just, like, I don't know. Maybe it's that, and maybe that's also why I'm so negative on Tribe Vanguard is that when your leader feels weak, then I feel like the promotion and the unit feels weak. And at that time, like, that was, it was really great for the first few months, and then Hulk got really injured and really kind of beat up and he wasn't even in the unit disbands match and that was something that i that always kind of sticks in my craw a little bit so do, were there any other we're kind of doing remember let's remember some units here but were there any more that you feel like we should mention before we go do you have any windows mg thoughts <laughs> i do not have any strong windows thoughts uh nor do i have any thoughts on whatever the hell that shingo yamato unit was called that i could never pronounce correctly what was that unit called? Oh, God. Now I put on Sot. Akatsuki. Akatsuki. Yeah. See, I could see the letters in my head. I ha- I have always struggled. I've never been confident in the way that. Uh, I have no strong thoughts there. Tribe Vanguard needs to disband. But other than that, uh, I believe it is best shows on the format sheet next. Is that correct? I've got some shows I'd like to talk about. All right. Now, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this because when, when I start thinking about shows, I had to remember... And then that kind of takes me back to where I watch these shows or how I watch these shows. So my show of the decade, I only really have one on here, is Kobe World 2014. I felt like that was a show that hit all the marks, has 
some of my favorite tag team matches of the decade. I mean, you had the Yoshino Ricochet tag team against Shima and Matt Seidel. That was a whole lot of fun. You had Flamita versus Dragon Kid. And of course, you had the match we talked about earlier, Akira Tozawa and Shingo Takagi losing the Twin Gates to Ada and T-Hawk. So that is kind of like my one, but I want to hear your list of shows to see if there's anything else here that us playing Let's Remember Some Guys, Let's Remember Some Matches, Let's Remember Some Shows. Let's Remember Some Shows, Case. What do you got? So I've got three shows, and after Kobe World this summer, I went over to the VoicesOfWrestling.com forum, and I I penned some thoughts on where Kobe World 2019 ranked among the all-time Dragon Gate shows. And Kobe World 2005, and a handful of shows from this decade, uh, which I, I guess is my way of saying that I, the World 2019 is one of the three best shows of this decade. Uh, between KZ Shun Skywalker, Susumu versus Flamita, the Ultimo Dragon debut match, a crazy underrated Twin Gate match, and the Ben K versus Pac Dream Gate match. That is a, a murderous run of five matches that, unless you're talking peak New Japan, those are just really hard to beat. Uh, 2019 Kobe World is one. The other two I've got, and then I'll let you give uh, your thoughts. Kobe World 2011? Uh, maybe my pick for the second best Dragon Gate show of all time. Uh, there's a lot to like on here. On the undercard, there's a really fun uh, Don Fuji, Stalker Ishikawa, and Yoshihiro Takayama versus <laughs> KZ, Naoki Tanazaki, and Tomahawk TT match. And then the business end of the card, you hit this run of matches of Akira Tozawa versus Shingo, Shima and Ricochet versus Dragon Kid and Pac, and Mochizuki versus BB Hulk. And if you want to know the star ratings of those last three matches in my mind, it goes four and three quarters, five stars, four and three quarters. And that is as good of a closing stretch as nearly any show that I've ever seen. And then finally, and this is a tier below, yeah, a, a tier below those Kobe World shows, but something that I just, I just loved this show. Dead or Alive 2016. You have a Maria Bravegate defense against Mondai Ryu. And then this was the delegate matches with the 10-minute time limit. So KZ versus Mochizuki. Don Fuji versus Saito. Shima versus Gama. Yoshino versus T-Hawk. You had a great twin gate match between Big R Shimizu and T-Hawk against Dragon Kid and Eita. Which, by the way, we forgot to mention over-generation in our unit talk. That is all you need to know about over-generation. Um, <laughs> and then a crazy hair versus mask. <laughs> they had capes. They had like capes. Um, <laughs> a hair versus mask, steel cage survival, double risk six way match between Cyber Kong, Naoki Tanazaki, Naruki Doi, Shingo Takagi, Yamato, and Kotoka. This was the peak of Dead or Alive cage matches. One of the best shows I've ever seen, top to bottom. So much fun so uniquely laid out, such excellent pacing, that is a show that makes Dragon Gate what it is and what makes it stand out from any other company in the world. So Kobe World 2019, 2011, and Dead or Alive 2016 are my picks. So of those three, the show that, like, maybe it's recency, but I remember how amazing it was, was Dead or Alive 2016. That just, like, that was the most convoluted of Dragon Gate like cage matches but also was the one that hit like all the big big moments of course that like led into yamato 
becoming the new Dreamgate champion at the year. Like, that was the big turn there. And it also reminds me about how fucking old Tri Vanguard is. Please die, Tri Vanguard, please. But it just was, like, such a huge match. And just, like, the way it just kind of crystallized because that uh, Big T tag team was a whole lot of fun. Like, it was a very short-lived, but it was a really fun tag team. And then, like, I've, like, talked about this before. When Santa Maria is played as, like, a underdog wrestler versus the Exotico, like, character, that's the best form of Yosuke. And it was best simplified during the Brave Gate reign. So that was, like, such a really, really fun time period. And then you also had, like, over generation at that time, like, we really glossed over them, but... Yeah, like the three guys here that, like, sadly, one of them is no longer wrestling, but you had El Lindemann, Kaido Ishida, and Takahiro Yamamura. Like, Yamamura was reaching his potential before he got injured. And then now we see, like, Lindemann, who's been great outside of Dragon Gate. And you have Kaido Ishida, who right now is on the best run of his career. Like, if I was going to name my runner up outside of Kobe World 2014, I feel like it's that one. I noticed you didn't mention Kobe World 2014. Like, what were your thoughts about this as how it stacks up? Well, what's funny is that that pick really surprised me. Uh, Kobe World 2014 was a show I remember watching live Kobe that I had watched in the moment. Uh, That was right when I was really becoming fully obsessed with Dragon Gate. And it's a show that I remember really enjoying. um, The T-Hawk and Ata versus Tozawa Shingo match that you recommend or that you mentioned earlier, um, as well as the Shima Seidel versus Monster Express tag match. I remember really enjoying Flamita versus Dragon Kid on that show, which I think is kind of an underrated match, but one could say between that match and the Susumu match from that May that Flamita had, that Flamita is still living off those legacies of, of those two matches. Uh, but I'm looking at the card now. I don't remember loving the Triangle Gate match and then the Dream Gate match was not my cup of tea. It was Yamato and BB Hulk playing in the worst instincts, I think. Yeah, I think that that's probably a fair statement because that was that was like the end of Yamato's big heel run as champion and he that was when he that was like the first match he really got into MMA. Like for a while like he was uh, like when he was doing like the, the the coolest guy alive, like he would do some MMA, but it wasn't like all he did for the first ten minutes of a match, and that was the case there. But the more you talked about Dead or Alive 2016, I think you changed my opinion, and I think that that was the show of the decade. So I'm gonna go. It's a really special show. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing like that show in wrestling. Right. Yeah, and it definitely was the peak of the cage match as well, and. Like kind of the crazy thing about it was like this was a decade of the rise of the Doi Darts Corkin, the Corkin that like the Pac taking the title from Yoshino, Yoshino defending the title against uh I'm blanking on his name right now, Masaki Mochizuki. He, like like there were a lot of other great shows that were not like big shows that happened during this time period. And the reason why I like use this as a segue, unless you want to interrupt me and have something else to go to, is my favorite two matches of this last decade were not matches that happened on a big show. They happened in front of Cork and Crowds. My my top match of this decade was... Ooh, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was the Open the Dreamgate tile defense between Masato Yoshino defending on the 20th anniversary of Masaki Mochizuki's debut in 2014. 
is my favorite match of the decade. It's the last Dragon Gate match I've gone five stars on, Case. And then my number two match was the match we talked about earlier, the Amigo Tag versus Yokosuka Chome Tag match. So those are my top two. After that, there's been a lot of really great ones. Like, to be honest, Ben K versus Misaki Mochizuki from this year might be my number three match of the decade. And that's just how highly I view as Misaki Mochizuki and Ben K this year. But those are kind of like my top three matches of the decade. So throw some matches at me. Let's talk about some matches. So I've got a few here. Um, I love the Yoshino versus Mochizuki shout. I completely forgot about that. But that was a crucial match in my early Dragon Gate fandom because I remember Joe Lanza and Alan Forel losing their minds at this match. And I remember liking it, but not understanding why they were loving it so much. And then you find out about the Yoshino versus Fuji defense from 2011 and how that plays into this match. And then you you hear about Mochizuki's history, and it's his 20th year anniversary. And this is a match I've gone back, and I've probably rewatched this match four or five times now. I've seen this match a ton of times more and more. It's one of the best matches of this decade. I've got two Dragon Gate proper five-star matches this decade, uh, one being from the aforementioned Kobe World 2011 show, Shima and Ricochet versus Pac and Dragon Kid, the greatest high-flying match perhaps in the history of wrestling. Nothing tops this match when it comes to aerial innovation and preciseness. These four men went out there and had a, a perfect match doing in, inconceivable maneuvers. I'm a huge fan of that match. And then, and Mike, I think I know, I think you know where I'm going with Masaki Mochizuki versus Shingo Takagi from November 1st, <laughs> 2015. I think it's one of the 10, I think it is one of the 10 greatest matches in the history of professional wrestling. And I stand by that. I mean that. I'm not being shocking or provoking when I say that. I really think when you look at the landscape and you look at Kobashi versus Masawa and what Holy Demon Army did and Flair Steamboat, I think Shingo versus Mochizuki is up there at upper tippy top tier of professional wrestling. Yeah, and I remember this match so distinctly at the time because this was again during like peak Western like awareness because this was during a time period where Dave would order the Ustream shows and you have a review. And I remember explicitly him saying that Masaki Mochizuki put forth a better singular wrestling performance than anyone in wrestling for this one match and was better than Shawn Michaels. Never has addressed Masaki Mochizuki since then. Never has. And this match was just so special. No, <laughs> no. hasn't done that. And also, as I talked about on a show with Alan Forel earlier this year, uh, Dave waxed poetically a giant long paragraph, which should have been probably three paragraphs, but it's Dave, so it was one paragraph, about how great this match was. And this was before January 4th, 2017, when Dave's star rating matters. And if he just would have thrown on a five-star rating, it honestly could have completely changed the trajectory of Western viewing and the Dragon Gate audience and the way it expanded westward. But instead, Dave just wrote this giant long write-up and then never gave it a star rating. And it bothers me to this day. Has he ever addressed this? Like, I know people have, like, asked him, but, like, has anyone, like, asked him, like, straight up, like, was that a five-star match? You never threw a star rating on that. No, because Dave, he wouldn't have a take on that because he doesn't think about star ratings after the fact. But according to Cage Match, Dave gave it five because it's so obvious that Dave thought this was a (laughs) five-star match. He just never 
officially gave it five, and it drives me insane. And this was like such a good title reign case because you had this, you had the Don Fuji match, which was a lot of fun in that title reign. The game of match was meh, but then you had probably Shima's best singles match ever in Dragon Gate at that Final Gate show in 2015. And I remember the video package, which like had like Shima during his monster reign, like address the crowd on the outside and like do a crowd surf into the snow. And it just was like such a moment was the early Shingo Berserk title reign in this match. But it's interesting that like for a promotion that has been known, at least for Western audiences for the last 13 years as a promotion that's dedicated around the trios match that none of these matches were even considering are a trios match. It's just like this, this promotion over the last decade has changed so much that like I, the last great disbands match in my mind was the uh, mad blanky versus Jimmy's one. Maybe like we don't talk about those as much anymore. It's just like, when we talk about like era changes, this is a great example of it. And if anything shows you the longevity of Masaki Mochizuki. Oh, for sure. So I've got a few other matches and, and it will full, come full circle and address that point you just made. Um, I want to mention a few others real quick. Uh, Danielson versus Shingo from the first anniversary Dragon Gate USA show. That is another five-star match to me. As well as the third Shingo versus Susumu match from Dragon Gate UK. I think at this point people think I'm lying or making up the existence of Dragon Gate UK because every time I bring it up I say, oh, but no one's seen it. The tapes are hard to find. I swear to God, this Shingo versus Susumu three match is one of the best matches I've ever seen. It is... Not on the level of Mochizuki Shingo, but when I say it's not far off, I am <laughs> not kidding. I really mean that. And then if you want to talk about multi-man matches, I've got one for you. And this is a match that uh, I believe was my second highest match of 2016. I believe it came in second. If not, it came in third in the Voices of Wrestling uh, match of the year poll, at least for my votes. It unfortunately did not come in second or third for the overall poll. Um February 4th, 2016, losing unit disbands, 12-man tag match, Berserk, which was Kotoka, Naruki Doi, Shingo Takagi, and Yamato. They defeat uh, Monster Express, Tozawa, Yoshino, Sachihoko Boy, and T-Hawk, and Diaheart, the Diaheart's unit disband match, which I forgot that Diaheart was the unit that lost this match up until you said that BB Hulk wasn't even in this match. And then I was like, oh my god. That's the match. Big R Shimizu, Dragon Kid, KZ, Mochizuki. I rewatched this match about five months ago. I forget why. I think I just wanted to watch a good wrestling match. And this is, if you want to talk about multi-man action in this decade, this is the peak of that. Because this is really not far off from either the July 3rd, the Kobe World 2005 Blood Warriors versus Do Fixer match, or the WrestleMania weekend, the far more famous Blood Warriors, or I'm sorry, Blood Generation versus Do Fixer match match this is peak action multi-man wrestling stuff that only dragon gate can do this is where it peaked this decade this match is unbelievable in front of a molten hot cork and hall crowd yeah like as soon as you said february 4th i knew which match you were saying case because that that would be my best multi-team match of the decade by far because you you mentioned all these people but you didn't mention who i think is the star of this match and that was sachi hoko boy Sachi Hoko Boy versus Shingo getting bullied yes. and just being an absolute legend, the last person remaining on his team because this was an elimination tag match. And then the fact that like you had uh, uh, B- Big R Shimizu basically 
fighting for the life of the guy because and then like the the very teary promo afterward where they said we couldn't defend the unit while you weren't here uh hulk it just was an incredible time like this was again during peak for zerk this was a monster express team that was on the ropes after shingo left because because shingo tried to pull uh tozawa over because they're the longtime friends and just was just an incredible moment this was like back when like corkins like i would say with, with like few exceptions like most notably the the mochizuki uh kz title match have been a little bit more on the quiet side over the last few years but this was like corking going insane for this 12 person match and if i were to give like the dragon gate specialty match of the year this or match of the decade it had to be this one with a bullet is one of my favorite matches of all time still think i have it at four and three quarters case there's only one five star rated match for me in this decade and i already said what it was well uh, okay so so real quick so i you mentioned Sashi Hoko Boy, and I think that's such an important point because for as frustrated as I've been with Dragon Gate at times, and you know, there was one point at the end of 2017 where I really wanted to throw my hands up and just say, you know what, I don't I don't want to write about this every month, even though it's you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's was just fed up with but I'm so glad I continue, and I'm so glad that we have these outlets to remind people, whether it be uh, my written reviews or your written reviews when I get too busy or this podcast. Things like the fact that Sachi Hoko Boy, for a brief period, was one of the hottest wrestlers in the company, and there was legitimate conversation that he should wrestle and lose, mind you, but that he should challenge Shingo Takagi for the Open the Dreamgate title. That was a real discussion happening in 2016 by people that loved and followed and cared about the product, and that the natural storyline progression would have been for Shingo to obliterate this guy in Cork and Hall. But he would have had a Dreamgate challenge nonetheless. And that's the stuff that gets lost in time, that people forget about, that people that weren't following the product at the time will never know unless we are here to talk about it. And that's why I do this shit. Because it's important to remember that stuff like Sachi Hoko Boy being the hottest act in the company for a three-month period was a real thing that happened and i feel very warm memories thinking about that right now yeah and i don't think any of this sadly is on the dragon gate network but go seek out 2014 to 2015 the beginning of reserve versus into the founding of or the, the this huge feud that ends with the feud kind of ended when dia hearts got it lost at a span match because that of that time that was also Around when you had other stuff going on, the promotion as well. You had over generations still kind of getting the, their getting like their feet worked on and like no, yeah, no, no, yeah, that was like this time. But it was just was such an incredible time period. Like cause you had like this three month period where he was a star, and that's like the weird thing. Like like you've brought up Taku Iwasa before. There was a very short period where Taku Iwasa felt like that kind of character, and they had the title match. But it didn't happen for Sachioka Boy, and it's never going to happen. And he's sadly not the wrestler he was at that time period. But legitimately, for a three-month period, Sachioka Boy was arguably the most hot act in the promotion, and it was insane. But it just was, it just was one of those things that, like, looking back at this, and I wish all this was available, and it was more available for people who would join the network because it was such an important part of the promotion. Because this was peak for Zerk, and then you 
went straight into Shingo losing the title on what he thought was a fluke loss to Susumi Yokosuka. And that kind of then had the Jimmys underneath the ire of Berserk finally. And that kind of led to the end of, the, of Jimmys. And like that was the time period where everything kind of flowed together. So like I accidentally bring up wrong people, but that's because everything flowed together basically up to a point. And then, it, then there was the weirdness and then the split. And now things are starting to pick up again. But like during this time period, basically up until the last part of Shingo's reign, Things were really moving at a huge pace, and every Corkin was a big show, and it's not necessarily the case of that anymore. Not to say that I didn't dislike Corkins now. It just feels like such a fundamentally different promotion just four years after the fact. Well, I, I don't want to jump ahead because we, we end with a big topic that this relates to, but very specifically, I think there is a time period from August of 2015, when Shingo wins the Dream Gate, and we see Berserk form, and we see units start to shift and change a little bit, to Yamato defeating Shingo at Kobe World 2016. If you take that 10-month period, that might be the peak of the company, period. Let alone this decade. I don't know if I've seen enough 2005 to say for sure, because 2005, from what I've seen, is a really magical year in the company. But that August 2015, to July 2016, if you want to talk about a moment or a stretch or a period of the company, it is really hard to beat that because every show, whether it be a Kobe Sambo Hall, a KBS Hall, a Corkin, or a big show, felt like a big deal. And there was legitimate discourse and discussion after seemingly every Dragon Gate show at that time. And you know what? I would say, I would stretch that out to Tozawa leaving. That's fair. I could I could make that an exception. Yeah, just because of like how that became such a big thing, like at that first defense for Yamato, and arguably that might have been the thing that ruined Yamato's reign was right after his first defense became about Tozawa for the next two months. But it feels like that that fourteen month period, the promotion was hitting on all cylinders. And the only other time that came close to that in this decade was the Blood Warriors versus Junction Three time. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We've talked about matches and we've brought up a lot of these people here but a big thing i feel like in this decade were the foreign stars that came in to dragon gate of course this was a lot of this was the influx through gabe sapolsky and dragon gate usa and ring of honor and then it came into just other relationships people that they've met in mexico like flamita and drastic kid or drastic boy to now where it's kind of just a weird mix of ultimos friends wrestlers that people might have met in other countries and follow and just like a random assortment of guys but this if the first decade of the dragon system really was not that much uh gaijin around other than like jack evans matt seidel and pack to the 2010s this was kind of like the decade where the gaijins became such a big thing to the point that we had two different gaijin uh open the dream gate champions and ricochet and pack so I feel like that those two are the ones that really talk about here, at least as a starting off point. Which one would you take, Pack or Ricochet? That is, God, that is a tough question. I, my gut and my my initial instinct, which I'll I'll go with my first answer. I say Pack. I really think his 2011 to 2012, he was one of the best wrestlers in the world. There's a reason he got signed before a large crop of indie talent that was soon swept up. But there was a reason he was on the short list of guys to go first. Because he was, you know, he's obviously known as the man that gravity forgot. He's this incredible flyer. But 
if you look at his rest striking, it all got lost because I think it was hard until he became Neville for people to realize that the 100-pound soaking wet white tights British guy that popped up in Ring of Honor was the same guy in name but a different guy in theory than Junction 3 World 1 International era Pac. Um, really just a marvelous wrestler. I'm so happy he's an all-elite wrestling and is doing exciting things there. And I'm so happy that he returned to Dragon Gate and had a really, really strong uh, eight-month run there where he was constantly the most exciting thing on the show when he was on it. You see, I was going to pick Pac for the reasons you did, but I'm going to play Devil's Advocate and go Ricochet here. And that is because Ricochet came into the promotion, if not a teenager, not very many years older than that. He was most known at the time as being the flippy guy from Chikara that they put under a mask for a weird reason and was doing incredible things. But by the time he first left the promotion and then came back and left for good, it's I know it's like the big story and it's hack, but he went from being a teenager to being a man in the promotion. And he became the man of the promotion. He was the first Gaijin to win King of Gate. He was the first Gaijin to win the Dreamgate title. And I remember how big of a deal it was at that time when Ricochet won the Open the Dreamgate title. I remember distinctly like logging on to Figure Four Weekly's website, Wrestling Observer, and actually them having a photo of Ricochet with the Open the Dreamgate title there and how big of a moment it was. And then each time he would come back, he would he'd never had the impact of when Pac came for that eight month period but he always would have great matches like he had a match with Ada at the tail tail end of his final farewell that was something incredible as well and it's just something that like he had a team with uh with Shima with a part of the Spike Mohicans he had some great Triangle Gate teams and then he had his really long Brave Gate reign going from the end of Blood Warriors into him doing World 1 International and it just was like incredible stuff there. And maybe it is the fact that he was the first to do it. And he did it to such a level that even though he only had a one defense tile reign, I think Ricochet is my guide in the decade. Yeah, I, uh, that's, that's hard to argue. Uh, now, I've got a question. And I hate to break the fourth wall and reveal your format sheet for this show. But is this the, is this the part of the program where we were discussing best debut? Or is that coming? later oh let's do it now okay because i don't have i it's totally cool that we talked about gaijin i did not have that on my list and i wasn't sure if we were lumping those two together um but i have one quick thing to say on the best debut it's an obvious one at least in my mind and it's uh katsumi takashima's debut at the december 4th december 1st 2016 cork and hall show when he takes place in a match that we neglected to mention maybe the most important match of the decade the literal rookies versus literal legends tag match. And that was Takashima's first match. He unfortunately had to retire due to a multitude of of injuries. But my God, what a debut. Yeah, like that was... And that's a match I talk about all the time. I can't believe I didn't bring it up. Like Takashima was someone that he had a lot of physical tools. He just, sadly, his body can hold up for it. And maybe it was some things with how that match was that shorted his potential... uh, career but i mean that was such a important debut and you know like when i wrote down the debut i was like thinking about people who are introduced in this decade and that's like a great person to talk about because there are there are people who are just forgotten about in this decade like 
for people who weren't necessarily up at the time, people might not necessarily remember how big of a deal Yamamura was when he debuted in the middle of the Summer Adventure Tag League in 20, I think it was like 2014 when he did that. And then, of course, you had T-Hawk, who when, was basically faceless, then became Tomahawk TT, then became Imposter Naoki, which was one of the best, which was arguably like the best part of his Dragon Gate career. And then Ata as a young guy, just being coming into King of Chop, going to Mexico and never being the same person since. There's just been so many great debuts and like first years and like pre-excursions that would happen that time. But yeah, Takashima, I feel like definitely deserves to be mentioned in this as this kind of like our remembrance of the decade as a guy who I think he only ended up having four or five matches televised, but those four or five matches that were televised became very important, I feel like, to the fabric of what Dragon Gate is now today. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree. And that's kind of whether we're talking Gaijin's or debuts, new faces on the scene. Uh, even though Pac came in uh, at the prior decade, I think he and Ricochet are worth noting. I think Takashima is worth mentioning. And then the hype around Yamamura, Inoshida, and Ben K are all worth noting. And that's kind of all I've got there. Yeah, I think that's probably the best there. Now, you talk about debuts. You talked about the importance of December 1st, 2016. This was a big decade of moments. And this is like where we're going like really just things remember that were such big things. Like, and I think that's something that special in Dragon Gate versus other promotions. Like for me, like the moment that sticks with me, and again, me being the Kira Tozawa fanboy, is the uh, part of the Blood Warriors Junction 3, Junction 3 feud where Hulk turns on Shingo because he would never team with Shingo again. And then their hired gun was Tozawa coming back from excursion. Like that was one of my favorite moments of the decades. So case, what were other moments of the decade that really resonated with you? Well, to stick on the theme of Akira Tozawa, his departure from the company in November of 2016 is one that sticks with me just because I really feel like there's still so much of that story to be told. And for as happy as I am, Tozawa was able to at least in some way, shape or form achieve his dream of wrestling in America selfishly i'm heartbroken over the idea dream game the dream game champion akira tozawa and his farewell was emotional and it came a year after the uha nation farewell where tozawa broke down and cried in the middle of the ring which is weirdly for all the great great matches that uha nation farewell uh, to use a phrase from the last decade, it was probably the Dragon Gate clip that went most viral out of anything to happen this year. That Uha Nation clip touched people, and the farewell celebration was moving, quite honestly. And the Tozawa one was not far off. That's maybe not my number one, but to stick on the theme of Akira Tozawa, that was a big one for me. Yeah, I mean, the, the moment that we learned that Akira Tozawa and Giki Horiguchi were hiddenly the two soft, like biggest softies in the promotion were around those farewells because I don't think I don't think Kiki Horiguchi went through any graduation or farewell without him basically just bawling like a baby and it just added to those moments and I don't like with how this promotion grows and how these wrestlers like for Tozawa's standpoint grew up in this promotion he entered it as an 18 year old he left it as someone who was at the time probably like one of the most prominent Japanese wrestlers at least among western audiences because how important his excursion was so it's just like great moments like that of course there's like the big turns like like when Shingo finally turns on Monster Express is huge the the big thing when uh, Kness saved the Jimmies that's a great moment as well and then 
this year, I mean, Benke taking the taking the crown, standing above the mountaintop, and bringing in what was now like this new current era of Dragon Gate. There's just been so much stuff in this decade, and I know there's like a million things I'm forgetting, but those are the things that have resonated me with me the most. Yeah, absolutely. To stick on the theme of turns, Hulk turn Blinky was a big one for me. I thought that was perfectly executed. And then Berserk turning on Yamato, uh, similar story, just differently executed, but very, very, very good stuff there. Um, I've got a few more. Uh, the the stretch from Shingo defeating Shima at Kobe World 2013 into Yamato defeating Shingo at the next Cork and Hall is so mind-numbingly brilliant. I can't believe they had the guts to do what they did and for Shingo to end this monstrous reign, the, the reign that made Shima Shima, he was answering all of those downers with that 18-month title reign. Shingo wins, and then a month later, he gets a box to the back and a Frankensteiner for the pin, and Yamato becomes Dreamgate champion. That was something that was happening right as I started following the company, and that was a lot of fun to dive into. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, Shingo winning the title, carving through Don Fuji in a super great match with the black and yellow tie, or the black and yellow singlet Shingo, which was short-lived but excellent. Um, the Gama match, which I think is an atrocity to man. I hate the December third, two thousand fifteen <laughs> Shingo versus Gama match. I hate it so much because I was so excited about it because I thought Shingo was going to carry Gama, and this is coming off of the most. Suzuki match, mind you, one of the 10 greatest matches in professional wrestling history. I thought Shingo and Gama were going to have, like, the closest thing they could have to an ECW arena brawl in Dragon Gate. I thought it was all going to work out. I had a vision for what that match was going to be, and instead it was the worst thing I've ever seen, and to this day, one of the worst matches the company has ever put on. Up there with Shima versus Cyber Kong in the Ultimo Dragon Disaster from last that. You go straight to the Shima singles match, which is brilliant, and then loses to Susumu, wins it back from Susumu, goes into Kobe World and loses it to Yamato. And it feels like that Yamato win was a definitive shift of eras and the way the company operated to an extent. Brilliant, brilliant stuff from Shingo Takagi. I look back fondly on those two eras a lot. And then finally, my last big moment is the split. It's Shima taking T-Hawk and L. Lindemann and Takahiro Yamamura and saying, I'm done here. I am no longer with Dragon Gate, which is something that I couldn't even comprehend. And it, it's shocking to think now that Shima is no longer in Dragon Gate and he took three of the best prospects with them. That is a moment that is unforgettable. It's shocking to say the least. I can't believe it happened, but it happened and we are now living in that reality. And the thing also about that reality is that one event probably led to Ultimo coming back. Oh, absolutely. So I feel like that that moment is correlated to that. So I think it's all pretty interesting. And I feel like we've kind of talked about this a little bit and beat around the bush with this, but I think, and it's hard to do it by calendar year, and I kind of regret putting it like this, but the best year of the last decade, there's two periods. It's either the entirety of the Blood Warriors and Junction 3 feud, or as you've pretty well put, the Shingo Reign of Terror that led into Yamato becoming the face open the Dreamgate champion in 2016. I think that after those periods, there were kind of some deep ebbs 
that kind of like got pulled out of when Yoshino ended up being champion in 2014 and then really when Pac came along in 2018 but it seems like that those are definitely like the big spikes in Dragon Gate at least in the 2010s did you have any other time periods that you feel like deserve mentioning there or like what did you think of those two time periods specifically if we're talking calendar years 2011 and 2015 are the answers because even before the Shingo Reign of Terror, there's a lot of fun stuff at the at the first half of 2015. Uh, the Legends being in Mad Blanky, Akira Tozawa wins the Brave Gate belt. There's some great tag team matches early on that year. And then again, if you want to shift things up and just go 12 months, you've got basically August to July, uh, August 2015 to July 2016. Or if you want to even extend that to Tozawa departing, those are kind of the best eras there. But 2011... And then a hodgepodge of 2015 and 2016, to me, are by far the best years of this decade. Yeah, and it's just one of those things. It's interesting that I feel like like right after these time periods, you had some of the darker parts of the decade, like because 2016, like the departure of Tozawa, then you had all the weirdness about what to do with Shingo until Shingo leaves, and then all the OWE and Dragon Gate Entertainment Discord, and then you know, other than. Other than the Jimmies, there weren't a lot of great units that were happening in 2012 and 2013. Like we talked about Akatsuki very briefly, but that was not really doing great. Mad Blanky and the Hulk and Akira era wasn't doing so hot. Team Veteran was fine, but and then you had Windows. But like, yeah, really, it's those time periods I feel like are the most. Uh, I feel like that those are the strongest time periods. Uh, I I do feel like that the time period leading up to uh takagi winning the title like how it went from like he he won it from yoshino but yoshino won it from uh, ricochet in that time period i believe i might my timing might be a little bit off yoshino won it from yoshino won it from hulk um it was right yeah ricochet to yamato yamato to hulk hulk to yoshino yoshino to shingo because, and it's the 10th the time I'll name drop him on this podcast, but Alan Forel made the most brilliant wrestling point I've ever heard when discussing why Hulk lost the title to Yamato. And that's because at Kobe World 2015, T-Hawk was main eventing. And the, the theory that Alan had, which I think is 100% true, is that Dragon Gate could not trust BB Hulk to have a very good match against T-Hawk in the main event of Kobe World. But you know who you can trust to always have a good match? Masada Yoshino, and he went out there with T-Hawk, and they killed it, and then T-Hawk was never the same again. Yeah, because that was T-Hawk winning King of Gate. That was, yeah, like, no, absolutely. And at that point, you had Hulk, who was just not in very good shape after that Shingo match there. I'm looking at the remainder of his defenses. Susumu defense was fine. The Uha Nation one, because it was kind of like Uha's farewell, was decent. It, It felt really kind of... It felt like Uha, like Apollo Cruz, if he was stayed in Dragon Gate, would is one of my big what if stories. But it that it, it was kind of weird. There it was a Champion Gate show, and then the Cyber Kong match. But Hulk was in rough shape at that time period. I mean, they they, they had they famously had to take both Hulk and Shingo to the hospital after Final Gate 2014. So yeah, no, I'm totally co-signing with Alan. But the downside of it was Seahawk. It was never the same after that. So I think that's a good way to talk about years. Uh, yeah, well... It, oh, go ahead. Absolutely. W- one quick note. They had to take Hulk and Shingo to the hospital because B.B. Hulk was badly hurt, and 
it it's lost in lore now because no one cares but me and maybe three other people. But a few days before that final game match, Shingo competed in an FMW tribute show right. where he got badly injured. And I remember there <laughs> being a rumor at the time that Shingo might not be healthy enough for final game. And I was pissed <laughs> that that match had the possibility of being called off. Yeah. Oh, God. His FMW tributes. To- yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's no longer a factor in his career. Yeah, there's no way that Kathani would let that happen or Gato. <laughs> but yeah, no, I remember that because, because <laughs> like soon after, like that was also like Berserk with like the barbed wire bats. After that, like that was the big change with like Mad Blanket Berserk was bringing in barbed wire, which was a very weird thing that I don't think Dragon Gate fans ever have really liked. Was whenever uh, Takagi wanted to do his Onita cosplay, that was always something that. You know, he did it once, and then he had to scratch that itch, and I see the complaint they had there. But, yeah, no. And, and then you also have the fact that Hulk shoot kicked uh, Shingo in the head, not for the fight finish, but for the one before it. One of the most brutal kicks I've ever seen in wrestling history. Like, that match. Again, like, this is, like, a time period that is not really as much out there, but Final Gate 2014, Hulk versus Shingo is a special match for that time period. So, all right. So we've talked about this. I think this is a good time. I've kind of bundled a lot of these together here that Dragon Gate will turn 21 when the, uh, I guess they're actually placing at the right time when they do the Torimon reunion show. Let's look ahead to decade three of the Dragon system. Like I mentioned earlier, like who do you think might be the ace of the next decade? I call this who will be the Susumu of this generation. Where is Dragon Gate in 2029, and what is the Kobe World 30th anniversary match? And then at the same time, I, I'm I'm gonna leave that there, but later we'll come back to like what if to close out the show. But case okay, so it's 2029. Describe your idea of what Dragon Gate is. I'm glad you asked me to describe what Dragon Gate is and not what my life might look like. Um, <laughs> Dragon Gate in, in 2029. I I mean it, it's it's impossible, but if going to try to look 10 years in the future, the safe bet is that 10 years from now, it is Shun Skywalker versus Ben K in the Kobe World main event. It's impossible to say. Mm-hmm. One or both might not be wrestling. They might be wrestling for different companies. They might be killing it for all we know. But given current trajectory, that seems like the obvious choice. Okay. Here's what I think happened. Because I think that that's like your big future feud of the generation. That's going to be your... Shingo and Hulk. That's going to be your Shima, Mochizuki, and Magnum Tokyo. Uh, here's how I imagine the next decade is going to go. I'm going to go a little bit more in depth, and if there's anything you find interesting, just let me know, and we could go at this. I think that there's an eventuality over the next decade that a lot of the Torimon first generation guys are slowly, but they're going to take their steps back. A lot of these guys, it's already started to happen. Some of them like appear just occasionally, but that's the eventuality. The only game you can't win is time. And I think we'll start seeing the first generation guys slowly but surely. We'll, we'll, we'll start seeing them wrap things up. I do think that we will probably be getting to a point where, I mean, Shun Skywalker, I think, would be like in his mid-30s. And this would probably be like the tail end of peak Benkei in 2029. But I feel like that's going to be a lead there. I think the person that... If there is a such a medium, and if Case and I are talking about this when 
I'll be in my 40s then, but if we're talking about this, I feel like that the person that I'll probably become fixated on will probably be Yuki Yoshioka. I think he'll be the guy that kind of becomes like the unsung hero of this. And it will be interesting because at that point, I think that, like, I don't put it past him, but Misaki Mochizuki will be almost 60 years old. Uh, Ultimo Dragon will be 62. And I think that ultimately the company will be led by Masato Yoshino. And there's a lot of beats thinking that he really is the one controlling the company right now. Like, I don't feel like that's unfair for me to say, but I think we're going to be looking at this as we've already started to see the generation shift, but I think the next 10 years will be the big generation shift. And I feel like that Dragon Gate will exist. I don't know if I think Shima ever comes back before he retires. I think there's a possibility of that, but I think there's going to take a lot more time than has happened right now. But I think you're dead right. The main event of Kobe World 2029 probably is Benkei versus Shin Skywalker. I uh, I think that's well put. I have nothing more to add there. I think you are, at least with our na- naive 2019 eyes, you are on the right track in predicting the future. Yeah, yeah. For all we know, that their Earth is completely done. We screw up the environment. There is no Kobe World 30th anniversary. Who knows? All right. So I think... Hey, fingers crossed, though. I, I hope it happens. <laughs> you hope the world ends, or you hope that Kobe World 2029 happens? I hope there is, I hope there is a Kobe World... I very much like being alive, and I think the Earth is pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I hope there is an Earth in 10 years, and I hope I'm here talking to Mike Spears for a large sum of money per podcast appearance, and we are breaking down Kobe World 2029. Yeah. I mean, hopefully all the money. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too proud to say that, but yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so... I think this is... Oh, no, you, you can pay me as much as you want. I have no issue saying that. <laughs> I, I am not above a paycheck. Right, right. Yeah, no. You I've... you can talk about wealth wealth gaps and whatnot with your boys A, B, and A, T. Open the voice. Pro getting money. Let that be clear. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble for that, but okay. <laughs> All right. I'm leaving it in. I'm leaving it in. But... Um, so I think this is kind of like the. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is like the right way to kind of end out the the show. We talked a little bit about this. We are in like now we have like the power of hindsight. Give me three things you wonder how Dragon Gate would have been different if something different happened over the last decade. It could be someone not retiring. It could be Shima not leaving, which is an obvious one, or it could be just. What happens if certain shows happen the way they're supposed to? What were you? What are your big what if moments that are going to stick with you? And you're going to wonder what the alternative reality would have been with in the last decade. I've got I've got three. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I feel like they're all kind of obvious, but I, you know it's three nonetheless. The what if Tozawa never leaves is uh, something that keeps me up at night. I I think he eventually becomes a Dreamgate champion and then loses in a devastating fashion. Uh, what if Masato Yoshino never gets hurt in January 2017? It's easy to forget now because he came back five months later. But two years ago, there was real talk that Masato Yoshino might not ever wrestle again. I remember having a conversation with a very successful professional wrestler in my DMs, and he was 
disturbed at the idea that Yoshino might not ever wrestle. He was upset and angered by it. And of course, what happens when Yoshino gets hurt? Well, Takahiro Yamamura and Big R Shimizu become stars on the February 2nd, 2017 Cork and Hall show. So there's a real chain reaction there of events. And Yamamura becoming a star leads to the obvious third. What if Shima never leaves? What does the company look like? Who are the stars? Does Al Lindemann peak? Does T-Hawk ever become Dreamgate champion? Is Yamamura the biggest star in the company? These are all questions we'll never be able to know, but they are great what-ifs. Yeah, I feel like that my number one would have been if Yoshino never got hurt because you didn't really touch about this at the time. There was some major speculation that Yoshino was going to turn on Doi nearly immediately. Yes, yes, you're right. That was that was the rumor was that it was going to be heel Yoshino versus babyface Doi at that Kobe world. Mm-hmm. Like that was going to be the big thing, and that was going to basically set up the next few years. And that is a even more so, I think, because of how how long it was and how things changed. Because that really kind of made Maximum out to be this really long drawn out thing until Maximum was official when Yoshino came back and finally Doi was done with like being mean to Katoka and all five of them kind of became Maximum. Like that's like a huge thing in my mind uh the other ones uh i'd be real interested to see what happens if uha nation never left i think he was someone that signed way too early he got moved up to the roster way too early and he is like one of the more frustrating stories to me personally in wrestling because he had all the tools and he was in a promotion where it was starting to really come together for uha like he was getting Dreamgate shots. He had a really fun uh, Twingate reign with Hulk and Mad Blanky that I think people forget about. He was, like, Monster Express was very much about him. Like, like he was very much, like, a key person in Monster Express because at that time, that was after when, uh, that was after when Ricochet was moving over to New Japan and doing Lucha Underground. So, that was a big one. And, and here is something that I'm very happy happened. I wonder, because there was a big thing at that time that people didn't think this was going to happen. Of course, I was like, no, this is going to happen. What if Pac never came back for the eight months last year into Kobe World this year? Like, that is... Dragon Gate would have been in trouble. Yeah, but just like, he might have done, like, look, like I really want to write this article about how this was like, this last eight months set up the next five years of Dragon Gate. But like, that is a huge moment to me. And I feel like that's a, like, when you think about what ifs, you think sometimes about negative things turning positives, but what happens if positives turn negative? And that I feel like is a huge moment. And then also, this is kind of like a minor one, but it really kind of changed things early in the decade. And this might be before your time. And I try not to do too much before your time for you. The tsunami that hit in 2011 really changed a lot of things. I believe it was 2011. I might be wrong, and I'm I'm gonna be a horse's ass. But the tsunami. No, that 2011. Ha- You're right. Yeah, on that. the tsunami and the earthquake that happened there was right before Dragon Gate was going to do what was supposed to be another show in Sumo Hall. Uh, Chuck Taylor, uh, Rich Swan, and uh, Johnny Gargano were very early on a tour of Dragon Gate that ended up that Chuck Taylor was never brought back. Rich Swan of course, ended up sticking around and was a part of Junction 3. And then Johnny Gargano had the most awkward ever tours in Dragon Gate history. But that was... (laughs) 
that scared the company so much that there's a reason why Oda War Gymnasium is the biggest show they do in Tokyo, and I fully expect it to remain that way. There's a reason why President Kido talked about doing a show in the Kyocera Dome and making that the Wrestle Kingdom of the West, as he called it, versus wanting to do another show in Sumo Hall or, God forbid, Budokan. And I think like that's a moment that, just because like there was a lot of stuff being built up there, that's actually when they started to launch Champion Gate was in result of this, the, the big double header at Osaka 2. So like that's another moment that I I wonder what if because it's it's easy to say what if T Hawk won the title what if uh, Shima stayed around like these are like the ones that like I feel like could have like changed things or like maybe nothing different happens maybe that is the last show that they have at Sumo Hall and they never re up but what if not so I don't know just leave for a thought that's good stuff yeah and I think that's probably a good way to end this special edition of open the voice gate i now that y'all have gone this far we recorded this back to back with the december episode that came out a couple a couple weeks before this so if if you've noticed my voice has gotten worse and worse we've done probably like what close to close to four hours of recording here case but i had a blast doing this and i'm looking forward to doing this with you hopefully more so in 2020 absolutely uh there's no one i would rather talk about Dragon Gate more than uh, than with Mike Spears. Uh, it was a an enjoyable afternoon talking about our favorite promotion of the world. It's great just to remember some matches and remember some guys. You know, no wonder Deadspin was so great at that with the baseball cards. Yeah. <laughs> and that's going to do it for Open the Voice Gate in 2019. We will be back probably sometime before the. Uh, we'll be back sometime in January. Talk about the beginning of the year and. Of course, as we're recording this now, less than 12 hours away, like the end of 2019. But you could follow me on Twitter at Fujiheya. I have links to all my other stuff there. You can follow Case at, at, at underscore in your case. He talks, he has posts about his new podcast. You can follow the podcast account, which is basically me retweeting our episodes and Dragon Gate shows. But unless you have something else you want to plug, Case, I think that does it for us here today. That was good enough for me. Uh, I look forward to being on again sometime soon. Yep, and we I look forward to doing that as well. Hope everyone has a nice holidays, and we will see you in 2020. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.